0: The podcast is also sponsored by my good friend Tiger at It's Tiger Music on Instagram at ITZTiger.Music. You can find all his work on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. He does all the music and tracks for the BlockHash podcast. Go check him out. Also, don't forget to check out BlockHash Plus on Patreon. This is something that's new where you can learn more about trading, technical analysis, and charting all for the price of two cups of coffee a month. That's pretty damn cheap. Sign up at patreon.com slash blockhash. And last but definitely not least, Blockhash is offering consulting for all your blockchain needs. Buying, exchanging, selling, safe storage, tokenization, NFT creation, point of sale, you name it. We can help you. Go to blockhashpodcast.com slash consulting and let's talk. Hello guys, it is Friday, March 19th, episode 118, and today I have Dr. Steven Waterhouse, also known as Seven. He is the CEO of Orchid Labs. Orchid Labs runs the Orchid VPN, a crypto-powered VPN that was actually awarded by CNET as the fourth most innovative product of 2020 behind the COVID vaccine, Wi-Fi 6, and Apple's M1 chip, which is pretty damn impressive. In a nutshell, they are creating the most private way to access the internet decentralized with blockchain as a vpn this is a pretty cool episode so be sure to subscribe if you haven't already i really hope you have and be sure to share this episode with somebody that you think would like to learn more about blockchain orchid labs and dr waterhouse enjoy okay recording started so is it Steven or Seven or is it both? Is that a nickname? Because I keep hearing both and I'm like, is that supposed to be a typo? Is that like a well, nickname? I've, I've,
1: I've never heard the um, rather exciting pronunciation, Seven. Um, that's actually kind of cool, but it's just seven, right? The number. Um, okay. But yeah, the full name is Steven Waterhouse. Um, but uh, I go by seven as a nickname.
0: What, where did uh, seven come along? Who gave you that? Uh, actually it was one of my co-founders at orchid uh, Brian Fox um, yeah and it's just Stephen no T oh interesting yeah. I thought maybe you <laughs> maybe you showed up with like seven coffees one day and they're like okay seven <laughs> no it's more subtle than that but but it's
1: nice. very easy very easy to figure out cool cool um, makes it very, makes a yeah. very short email addresses yeah like Although then you have to explain it, but like, so is that the number seven or is it spelled out? as like, well, either work? It's like, well, which one should I use? It's like, use one, whichever one you want. So hang on. Is it the number seven? I was like, no, no. It just,
0: mm-hmm. okay, it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was interesting. I wasn't sure if that was like some, um, you know, workplace nickname that was given to you for some odd reason or if there was like a purpose behind it. But no, it, it sounds cool. Sounds cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, there, there, there's a story. We don't have time for the story
0: right now, but there's a story. Um, Maybe another time, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you um, you mentioned to me off the recording, you're based in Portugal, um, mm-hmm. and you said there's you know fairly good crypto community there too, right?
1: Yeah. So um, I am originally from England and lived in the UK until. Um, 1997, um, mm-hmm. and then lived in San Francisco for 23 years, um, and then just recently moved to Lisbon, Portugal. And yeah, there's an emerging uh, crypto scene here. Um, got some really interesting people who have either already moved here or are moving here. If anyone's listening who is in the crypto scene in uh, Portugal and you're not in uh, my little telegram group that I set up, then drop me a line and uh, we'll. Uh, review your proposal (laughs) we (laughs) kind of we try to keep it kind of closed because uh you know keep a kind of tight tight sort of community there but um i've got about 80 or 90 people in that little group right now
0: What what are you seeing in the crypto scene there because i know you're mentioning all these bitcoin maximalists earlier and yeah i'm not sure like what kind of crypto people you're getting there but um
1: it's, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a mixture. Uh, we've got everybody from sort of investors to um, some people running some interesting funds and to people uh, kind of in, you know, new kind of DeFi um, opportunities or NFT opportunities. So I'd say there's a whole spectrum of things that's going on. Um, there's definitely a lot of people who are here as sort of a European, of us, a European lifestyle play. because um, uh, it's a beautiful place to be, um, mm-hmm. and also taking advantage of the observation that we've all had in the last year and a half or so that in crypto, especially, you can kind of work anywhere, and remote teams is becoming normal. Um, what I'm interested in in looking at, looking for, and potentially uh, investing in and supporting is more of a local um, ecosystem uh, of companies headquartered here, started here, like running here, you know, not just the lifestyle play, which I, I am, of mm-hmm. course, a, uh, an example of, a, uh, you know, CEO and running orchid, which is now, um, started in San Francisco, but now it's like, uh, an international company. Um, and so I'm interested in seeing whether or not, uh, you know, kind of a, a little cluster could emerge here from people who are, you know, like-minded individuals looking to do things. And we're starting to see a few deals, um, I'm working with a couple of local funds that uh, are seeing things.
0: Yeah. Nice. Why Why transplant from San Francisco to where you are now in Portugal? Is it just better to do you know business there as a crypto company or do you just like Portugal or is the community um, growing there? Well,
1: I mean, so, well it's, it's not straightforward because I'm running a company which is uh, based with a lot of people on the West Coast of the U.S., so. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm living GMT and PST um, every day. Uh, so, you know, th- think it's like sixteen. To- uh, <laughs> think think like sixteen hours days. Um, so um, it's not straightforward, but um, there's a number of reasons. Um, a lot of lot of very personal reasons. Um, my as I live mm-hmm. in the UK, and my, my family, uh, a lot of my family is, is still there, and um, wanted to have the chance to spend more time, more easily with my parents and also uh, my nephews um, who were growing up and um, had always also wanted my kids to have not just an international upbringing where you travel a lot but an international upbringing where you actually live other places and so this was uh, the choice really came down to a couple of places but this one had a lot of similarities with uh, San Francisco kind of west coast lifestyle in terms of mm-hmm. um, surfing and kite surfing, which are two of my favorite sports. Um, nice. And, uh, but then, you know, very, very good international airport right in the city center. Um, and, um, you know, just then that, that kind of European culture, history thing. And interestingly for, for where you are, it's actually, it's actually closer to South America than the West Coast of the U.S. is. Um, and I'm a big fan, a big fan of, uh, you know, exploring South America. So, strangely, by moving further east, I've been come closer to the west. So strange, strange
0: twist. <laughs> it's kind of the way the way that South America is shaped. Yeah, man. If you want to, you know, explore South America, come down to Colombia. It's uh, mm-hmm. blockchain's getting pretty big here. A lot of people love it. It's growing fast.
1: Yeah, um, I actually have a friend who moved there many, many years ago.
0: Yeah, I have, so, a, I have a bunch of uh, crypto stories in, in Latin America that I'd be happy to share with you sometime, but it's mm-hmm. an interesting place. I love, a lot of people love it down here. It's a good testing ground for you know a lot of these projects, and I see mm-hmm. a lot of them coming out here, especially Bogota and, and Medellin mm-hmm. now. So yeah, man, let me know anytime. We'd love to host you down here. Maybe we could do a live episode.
1: I'm down. Yeah, I, I, the Yeah, the, um, I spent quite a bit of time in Central America, in Costa Rica. Um, surfing, mm-hmm. and then a couple of years ago, I spent um, two weeks in uh, Jerica Quara, which is the north coast of um, Brazil, which is kind of like Mecca for kite surfing. You just got miles and miles of like um, untracked beaches, and um, I'm kind of you know, there's there's a lot of cliches about the sort of kite surfer guy from San Francisco. I I grew up racing um, really fast uh, sailboats, and then switched to windsurfing. Where I race windsurfers, and then also took up surfing, and then kind of came into kiting as a way to get better waves. Um, so mm-hmm. my kiting is sort of on the more extreme end of um, the spectrum than less the uh, less the sort of acrobatic um, kind of uh, you know, skateboarding imitation that, that I see a lot of the guys do. Anyway, um, no, yeah. no no sh-
0: no shade thrown on anybody here, but but yeah, that kind of I feel like I've uh, I got a slightly different style. You sound like a sports guy, like you enjoy being active. I do. And
1: I was telling a story to somebody the other day that was sort of asking me,
0: you know, kind of in my early 50s now and
1: asking me like, you know, my career or my career choices. And I try to explain that actually a lot of the choices in my career were based around lifestyle decisions. Um, uh, I, I started doing a PhD um, when I was at Cambridge um, because I wanted to, I was, I was already on the rowing team at Cambridge um, in the boat race and I wanted to have another try out to get in the top crew and also uh do national trials and olympics were coming up so i signed up for a phd which gave me you know four more years of optionality and then um my initial choice to move out to the west coast of the u.s um was partly inspired by just wanting to be driving distance from amazing snowboarding until I've fallen in love with um so <laughs> i don't know if uh, i don't know if these are great choices as to how you should plan your life but um when my son tells me he wants to be, you know, in the NBA, I'm like, sure, of course, let's just do it. So in the meantime, just keep studying because you never know. But if you want to make any decisions mm-hmm. based around basketball, let me know, because like, I've done the same for different reasons. Different.
0: I mean, I don't blame him. I grew up wanting to be the star quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. Obviously, yeah. that didn't quite pan out. <laughs> but, you know, you got to shoot for something, right? Yeah, it's my you know, Life was meant to be meant to have some fun and do some interesting things right absolutely how, how did you you know you know in your life you know end up coming around to founding Orchid with your with your co-founders was it interested in being interested in like the tech or did you like have an experience with crypto or like what kind of got you down that path interesting question um it's a lot of parts to
1: that story um I'd initially become interested in security and sort of cypherpunk technology, um, Mm -hmm. of which, you know, Bitcoin is an example. Um, In the sort of latter stages of the dot-com bubble, when I was running security for this dot-com that was growing really fast and um, had a lot of hacking issues. So I just somehow ended up doing security work for them. and one of the companies we acquired at the time was the first company to build a capture system, so like you know interfaces for making sure that a person's not a robot. Um, and then I then got into peer-to-peer technologies, as they were called back then, um, with a little startup called InfraSearch, which uh, we sold to Sun Microsystems. And I worked on peer-to-peer distributed systems. Then um, took a journey into some, some other spaces, uh, in intellectual property, started a company fighting patent trolls, which took public, um, in 2011, and then ended up at Fortress Investment Group in, um, 2012, uh, and didn't really know what I was doing in a hedge funds. So I, uh, I started talking to the CEO, Pete Brigger and the founder and, um, He's like, well, you know, if you've got any other ideas, come back towards the one. So I came back with a few weeks later, a Bitcoin. Like, hey, we should check out this Bitcoin thing. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was actually inspired by my friend Sean, who had been one of my cyclopunk buddies from back in the early days. So you see how these kind of things weave together. Bitcoin made a lot of sense to me because I've been working in the peer-to-peer space in the past, a decade earlier. And I was like, oh, okay, this is like peer-to-peer distributed systems. Now we can make them decentralized because we have cryptocurrency. That's cool. Um, And... So I ran the venture fund at uh, Pantera Capital, which we spun out of Fortress and uh, with Dan, mm-hmm. my uh, the main partner there. Um, Dan had run Pantera as a global macro fund in the past, and then we sort of pivoted it um, to do cryptocurrency, initially Bitcoin and other things. Um, in 2016, 17, I just decided I really wanted to have another crack at the... You know, scratch that entrepreneurial entrepreneur list one more time. You know, mm-hmm. I was kind of like in my sort of, you know, mid, late 40s, I was like, I should really do this. Like, you know, I know how much energy this takes. I should just go do this thing right now. I'm not quite ready to, you know, do the, not the VC is, is easy, but the sort of VC retirement job, I'm not quite ready for this thing. I think I should just go do this thing. So uh, Dan and I uh, parted ways. And um, then I didn't quite know exactly what I was going to do. And I started looking at building I thought of it like open AI, but for security. So like open AI is this fund um, kind of like endowed fund uh, thing set up by Musk and um, Sam Altman and a few other people um, that's building kind of open source AI for good. The idea that mm-hmm. as a hedge against the idea that AI might not be such a good thing, let's let's build an open source platform such that AI open source exists, right? And, and also you can think about um, licensing open source in a in a sort of free or cheap to use way for startups or for you know sort of developing countries and so on. Um so I thought about what what if we could do that for security? Like it seems to me that just everything was there's a lot of things wrong with security in the world. There's everything from um you know Twitter going offline right before the not this election, but the previous election. Like I was like, how can mm-hmm. the major platform for the world have been DDoS? Like just it's crazy. You know, it's like Right. It's like all the TV stations just turned off on, on the planet right before the election. Everyone would freak out, but like Twitter, I was like, "How could Twitter? How could Twitter go down?" Makes no sense. Um, and then, strangely enough, like you know, kind of very like West Coast the universe sent me a message. I end up getting phone boarded, so I got SIM swap attacked, um, which many people in crypto industry, for those of you who don't know what it is, essentially uh the SIM card that's in your phone, which is the thing that identifies the phone as the phone number and if you yeah. swap that out um there's ways of calling the carrier and convincing them that you are someone else and then impersonating that person which is just like an identity oh so you attacked.
0: got sim jacked
1: yep so i got simjacked. Cool. um and uh and then i had a small but <laughs> valuable hole in my infrastructure for my opsec um mm-hmm. which i would stupidly opened to do some administration and then didn't close. I'm not going to say exactly what it was, but look, just rest assured that my security is even better now. Um, so anyway, they kind of tunneled through into a bunch of things. And the next thing I know, like they're reading my emails or my American Express or my bank accounts and everything. They did not get into any crypto, um, thankfully, uh, or do anything of any real damage other than be annoying. But, um, after kicking this stuff out, I started thinking, well, And then the irony was trying to authenticate with verizon that i was who i was was harder for me than it was for people who'd gone in the the, you know the front front door and claimed to me so suddenly they're like oh well now we need to know who you are you need to sign a notarized thing at the police and the police report i'm just like these guys just jacked my stuff and like now i have to prove like how come you're not liable um so i started thinking through this issue as to like what is the what is going on here and it led me down to a couple of different um followed different couple of rabbit holes one is. One idea was, well, what if we build a very secure, I mean, you know, anyone wants to go build one of these things, let me know. Like, um, <laughs> I'm also a venture partner at uh, fabric ventures in London. And so we're investing in lots of deals. So pick up an idea and run with it if I have one, um, and, and message me. Mm-hmm. So one idea was what if you could build a really private cell phone carrier, like an MVNO, if you know what that is, like a mobile virtual network operator, but, mm-hmm. um, privacy is the focus. So, you know, you, you you have to think through things like, well, how do you do that? How do you how do you control um, privacy on the numbers? And then I started thinking, well, you can always wanna have like VPNs built in, So that makes it make sense. That was the first idea I started thinking about VPNs. Then the second idea I had was, well, what if you built a, um, uh, you know, kind of like a very private ISP? And what if you looked at doing that with fiber to the home, maybe in rural areas in different parts of the world, less city areas initially? And I started thinking about how you could do this with a kind of incentive ownership structure like a token. And I spent some time talking to my friend Olaf from Polychain about the idea of tokens and understanding what was happening there. They were actually one of the last investments that I was part of at uh, Pantera um, into Polychain, which is a, really the first fund that really focused on tokens. Um, and then all of a sudden, just this, this idea of like focusing on VPNs came up, and so I was like, "Well, just forget about all the other thing carriers, ISPs. We should just focus on VPN technology." And so I looked really deeply at the VPN industry, which I never looked at before, and I was like, "Hang on a second, these guys, these those companies that sell the data, mm-hmm. the VPN companies that aggregate the data and then sell, they call it like an you know, aggregated anonymized version." And I was like, "Well, doesn't that thing as aggregated and anonymized? If you look for, you know, guys who are like." you know, men almost two meters tall from England with like, you know, San Francisco background who live in Lisbon, Portugal, there's one person that's me, right? unless there's mm-hmm. someone else. Give me a call if you're And so, and you know, the anonymized data, the aggregate data is only as good as the the slices that you give or such as you get. So um, that just seems really wrong to me. And then I also realized that there isn't really a, um, there isn't really a leader in this space, which I thought was very interesting that it was such a fragmented industry. And so I, um started looking at how to build like a sort of a tokenized, incentivized uh, architecture for VPNs. And that led to looking at things like um, Tor, which was, you know, the open source um, platform, onion routing mm-hmm. and looking at what people have done with incentivized Tor and the research that had gone into that space. And I realized that there was a fundamental belief system amongst the Tor community was that incentivizations are bad um, and that you should do things, you should host Tor servers because you believe that that's good for the world. and I agree. I think I think that's a very good way to approach things. But I also think we also came to the conclusion that there potentially could be a broader class of things that you could do. We believe we, we still believe we can make a difference in the what we what has become sort of the decentralized VPN space. It's not really a space. It's a you know basically like ourselves and some other people who haven't figured out what we figured out. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Um, and then um, and then. And then the the bigger play that I started realizing was the idea of well, what if these things? What if it's this is all before DeFi was? What if you could think about decentralized services as a framework? We have decentralized mm-hmm. finance today. Gollum was one of the earliest I, ICOs. Um, actually, an ERC twenty token before there was ERC twenty tokens. Um, Fabian felt the ERC twenty token tells a good story about it. He's one of our, like a good friend of mine. one of our investors, and um, so the idea that Gollum which is doing um, de- decentralized uh, processing and then you have now Filecoin, which has become quite well known for sort of decentralized storage. Um, you have Livepeer, here which borrowed a lot of our ideas for nano payments, which is doing decentralized streaming and you think, what if there's a larger space here like could you can you can you sort of start building something really interesting in this idea? Um, so that's how it started uh i was very lucky to meet um brian fox um uh who's who's still part of the team um very actively and then uh and then especially jay uh, freeman who's um you know, my, my closest uh, business partner on the co-founder side and, and cto of the company he really he's the leader on the on the technical side of, uh, of what we do and um and then also Gustav uh, Simonsen, who who was involved with us closely for the first couple of years, and uh, is still you know still, still somewhat involved. Um, and he had worked on uh, Ethereum core security and being part of some of the early issues with the DAO and so on. Brian um, was was very well known for building Bash. Um, first employee of the Free Software Foundation. And Jay, of course, uh, built SEDIA, which is um, uh, as he calls it the. the the, actually, the very first app store for the iPhone, and it was the app store for jailbroken um, iPhones, and that became uh, a very interesting uh, business and also a very interesting testing ground for many ideas, which were then taken by other apps or uh, Apple and put into the actual app store and, and the operating system.
0: That's, that's yeah, a, that's an interesting way of you know weaving around to getting to where you know you you guys started Orchid. That's that's a pretty cool story. The thing that caught my attention was you know could you take like a cell phone and like find a way to make that private like or like a carrier or something is that is there a way to apply like orchid to that like if you had a cell phone and you wanted to have more privacy yeah. using your cell phone making calls is that like a thing that could be possible well, and this is an interesting, interesting i mean I, I i could sketch out a
1: design for a business plan here but the the thing that you want to try and do is um there are some issues around the privacy of the geolocation data and the geolocation data for example in the u.s is mandatory like there's a provision called e911 which um i think europe has something similar which that voip capable phones need to have gps capabilities um, such that you can track where they are for emergency services so that you make calls so, yeah so yeah um and that was extended to actually a requirement that all cell phones have GPS location capabilities built into them. Um, So you've got a lot of privacy leak right there, right? Forget about your IP information and so on. Like, whoa, they know where you are and they know your phone number and then they know from the cell phone company, you know, which which cell that phone is in. So even if you turn your GPS off, they know which like region it is in. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you tie that to uh you know kind of the the web data that you've got and the payment information and suddenly i know who you are what you're doing what you're spending and everything so yeah the phones leak a ton of data all the time um bpns are helpful from the perspective of hiding the information from the cell phone provider who you may or may not trust um and also and i always say to people if if there's one place you can use the vpn it's when you're on a public wi-fi on a wi-fi at an airbnb it's a hotel wi-fi if you don't have coverage on your cell phone provider and i i trust my cell phone provider more than i would trust any open wi-fi network i i Mm it just it just just, like makes sense right um then definitely use your 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 vpn there as far as the privacy of the calls well the cell phone company is always going to know who you called because they're connecting your calls. They mm-hmm. would not know, however, um, who you connected to on a Zoom. They wouldn't know who to connect to on a WhatsApp call, on a signal call, on uh, even a FaceTime call. So you gotta think through your, your vectors, like what are you trying to do? Like if I'm sure. if I'm calling them you know, a shop down the street and asking them to pick up my laundry, I'm like, whatever, like great, come, come, come attack me on that one. Um, but if I'm making a you know a very important call that needs to be very private, um, then I'm probably going to think through different ways to make that call than just using my cell phone in, uh, in a normal way.
0: Yeah, there's got to be like a company at some point that comes out with like a cell phone or that's a carrier that doesn't attach your like your info and identity to that number. So I think that's the biggest issue. It's like when you get mm-hmm. a number, you have to provide all this personal information and then they have it. So they know that this is the person using the number. So it makes it more, well, more difficult.
1: Okay. So if, you, if you've, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to, not many, not many people from, uh, not many people from the West, never mind people from the United States have ever been, but I've been to Russia a number of times fundraising for mm-hmm. Ontario back in the day, back when it was not, Seen know, super sketchy to raise money from Russia. There was a period of time when I was like, yeah, you know, Russia's fine, or whatever. And then it got a little bit stranger. Um, fascinating. I mean, fascinating country if you ever get a chance to visit, especially Moscow. Um, just wow. But um, when you land, if you want to get a local SIM card, which often I would do because, you know, you get better data and so on, you need to present your passport in order to get that SIM card. So they actually do KYC on just buying a SIM card. Um, you know, they, I have friends, you know, like former CIA people like that who um, I like to talk to you about because you know, if you, you want to understand surveillance, you understand spies, right? So, and they're like, yeah, you know, we just we we will go and buy these SIM cards with wads of cash, and if we if we need to pay more, make them private. We'll pay more to make them private, and yeah. So, in answer to your question. there there are ways to get um, sim cards today that do not identify you it's
0: yeah it's a little bit easier here in latin america because i can order like a rappy like someone to deliver like a sim Mm -hmm. card to me for like five bucks and then i can Mm -hmm. pop it into an unlocked phone that isn't like associated with like my name and like boom like that's that's pretty easy so i mean there's some ways to do it i guess. I, like, I don't even, like any, I don't even like use any, the carrier too. I just yeah. use like Wi-Fi. Sure. It's like anything with um, anything with
1: privacy, um, the there's always a trade-off between, and this is security too, there's a trade-off between security, privacy, um, security and privacy, and convenience, right? So mm-hmm. there's some people even now who all, will say, hey, you know, you really should use two-factor authentication and a password manager like yeah but it's so annoying i'm like yeah i know imagine how annoying it's going to be when someone cracked your password and drained your bank account of money that's going to be really annoying what's more annoying like having to figure out 2 factor authentication or losing all your stuff and but as humans we don't we don't factor in the the cost of future pain (laughs) and and we often think oh this is paranoia and it's not so like there's some huge breach which have been so many of really. I mean, there are people out there who've lost and subsequently recovered um, upwards of almost hundreds, of, I believe, hundreds of millions of crypto through sim swapping and other techniques like this. Um, yeah. You know, the identity theft, you know, phishing attacks, like clicking on a sketchy link, you know, there's basic stuff like check the URL of what you're looking at, look at the emails, check to see where the email address is. Um, Matches we have had uh, at Orchid. At Orchid, also we've had people from different um, uh, exchanges globally reach out, pretend to be from some exchange that we would we would know. And luckily, I've from being sort of in the space for quite a while. I, I know a lot of the people who these exchanges, and I'll just forward the email to them and say, "This doesn't look like you." And they go, "Oh yeah, look, actually, the I in that uh, in the name of that company, the the crypto exchange." Is, is not an eye, it's like a wand, but it's in this weird font. So it looks like yeah. an eye. And you're like, God, that's like actually getting good. And they're like, yeah, this actually looks like a, and this person is someone we know in the other company. So they managed to figure that out. Um, and what are they trying to do? What they're trying to do is then set it up, have you sign a contract and so on, and then give you a deposit address for some funds. And then boom, that's gone, sucked out, disappeared. Uh, so there's a whole sophisticated world of people uh, trying mm-hmm. to get. Your stuff, <laughs> and you exactly. got to you got to think about it. The, so to answer kind of your question in general is like, Orchid is not a panacea that's going to solve all these problems for you. We're we're a we're, we're a component in what you know I, an engineering calls like the complete breakfast, right? It's like there's a toolkit. Mm. Um, what's interesting about us as a company is that um, we've become fortunate enough in the way the way we've designed the company that we get to focus. Essentially, exclusively on building privacy technology. Um, we're not building privacy technology. No, no shade thrown on anybody else here from the, the other other companies in space, but there are some companies that are building privacy tools or putting privacy in or selling privacy as sort of the selling point of their company. Um, but meanwhile, they've got a real business model of something completely different. Maybe it's an ad serving business model. Um, in the case of Apple, you know they're selling hardware, but meanwhile, if you go to Berlin, there's like a huge banner, like massive billboard uh, near Alexanderplatz, which has like "Apple is privacy" and it has a picture of a black iPhone. Hey, mm-hmm. like, yeah, Apple is privacy, but you know the M1 chip and and the new uh, macOS is sending information about every application you open. It's privacy, but I have to trust you, right? Yeah. Um, I think that there's a couple of articles I've written recently about. Decentralization, and we we call it. We had a kind of a sort of slightly strange title. It's like decentralization is the new encryption, which we're not mm-hmm. trying to say like decentralization is encryption. What we're saying is is that as we struggle to make encryption and especially end-to-end encryption become um, an important thing for people to fight for and understand why they're fighting for it, I think that and we're already seeing this is that the, this within privacy, the concept of decentralization is also going to become important as an increasingly. Uh, and, and also, like an increasingly, in some sense, like poorly understood thing. Um, mm-hmm. One example is um, the number of people who come to me and and say, "Oh, yeah, I don't use that WhatsApp thing anymore." I was like, "Okay, why? Why not?" Like, go, "Yeah, because it's owned by Facebook, and you know that privacy thing that made me click." I'm like, "Well, it's the same algorithm still, and nothing's actually changed, and it's it's basically fine. You know, it's like you know, you've got some issues with WhatsApp business accounts, but..." If you're doing it between your friends, then it's the same algorithm it was before. Nothing's changed since it was acquired. Like, oh, yeah, you, know, you never know with Facebook. I'm like, yeah, I agree. That's, that's a reasonable concern. I was like, so what are you going to do? They go, I'm using Telegram. I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, what's wrong with that? I was like, well, have you noticed how when you join a Telegram group, you can see the messages from before? They're like, yeah, yeah that's, that's cool. I was like, you know why? And they go, why? because the messages are still on the server. I'm like, oh. But that's good, right? I'm like, no, that's not good. Then WhatsApp, it's end to end. There's no messages stored on the server. Mm-hmm. The only messages are stored on your devices. I'm like, oh, what? so WhatsApp's better? I was like, well, you know, this is the problem. Is like, you have a, you have this issue of privacy theater and security theater that people are playing all the time. Um, and then they're like, well, which one should I use? And I was like, well, you should decide based on what you're doing, which one you should use. And do you have a favorite?
0: Yeah, do you have a favorite messaging app? Because I know that's a huge topic out there. Like everyone's yeah. like trying to debate and figure out like which one's better: is it Signals, is it WhatsApp, is it Telegram? Yeah. Um, well, interestingly, so
1: so Moxie from Signal, I'd, I'd love to get a response on this because it's something I'm very intrigued by. Um, is yeah. uh, is has often said that he doesn't believe that you can build decentralized messaging platforms, um, mm-hmm. and I, I think that has yet to be proven out as. A sort of a, an absolute truth like a negative truth but you cannot do that um, I think it'd be interesting and there are some attempts interesting to try hard at doing that maybe a federated search and so on because one of the challenges we have is you know I have a lot of respect for signal and what's happened there and, and what's been done and, and WhatsApp is based on the signal algorithm the um, signal implementation it's it's, it's um, it really has some modifications that I'm not fully familiar with. I'm not I'm having said that, I'm not a total expert on messaging technology. So mm-hmm. um, the but the interesting thing is that um, if you're end-to-end encrypted, which is what you want, that's signal that's what's at, then uh, you you also have the issue of well, what if somebody decides that they want to essentially de-platform you, right? Well, they mm-hmm. could de-platform you, they could also de-platform the entire platform. And this is a, a thought experiment that I that I would run in my head actually before we started ORCID um, was thinking through well, how do you how do you protect yourself in a future world where um, some you know poorly chosen dictator um, in, a, in what was once a free country um, decides to censor the messaging frameworks and that censorship causes like a WhatsApp or a Signal or a Facebook Messenger to either put in backdoors to their system or be turned off. Mm -hmm. Um, How do you make that choice as somebody who's running those systems? What if you could be like Ethereum and not be turned off? Because you can't really turn off Ethereum. You could try with Bitcoin. And that's the promise of decentralization in these systems is the idea of permissionless unstoppable systems and that's enabled by decentralization so that's kind of where my we're not there yet we don't really have an answer as to what else would you use but i think it's a very interesting um, thing to keep pursuing and, and pushing towards
0: yeah i think there's like an interesting like way to build a company around that like i've seen it in blockchain especially with like being able to send messages like um like the lightning network for example for bitcoin like there's some services where i can send a message and all i have to do is make a small transaction and It sends it encrypted and anonymously um and then like horizon for example i know you can do it like wallet to wallet with like a small transaction you can send messages so i feel like there's like ways to make that work but it's it's early and rudimentary in my opinion but it's there i think like mm-hmm. on the surface
1: Interesting ideas though.
0: Yeah, definitely interesting ideas. Um, In terms of, you know, Orchid, you know, in terms of using it, does it like cost anything? Like, do you have to uh, spend like a certain amount of money every single month to use it? Like other (laughs) VPNs? VPNs.
1: So yes, the question around how does Orchid work? Well, um, you know, as, as you're as your parents probably told you, there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? So when someone tells you they're giving you a free mm-hmm. VPN, you should be very worried because the question is, well, what are they, what are they really getting? And sure. the answer is, well, you're paying usually through advertising. You're paying actually through the data that you're giving them. because the, um, the paradox of VPN is, is that you, you suddenly switch. Let's say you're in a VPN service that has you know, coverage on your phone, on your different devices and so on. You're like, yeah, I'm protected everywhere, man. That's awesome. It's like, well, okay, now you just channeled all your traffic through one point. So everything you do is now being pushed to one person. So if that person is a free VPN or is a VPN company that maybe you shouldn't really be trusting, they know everything mm-hmm. about you now. So that's the problem now. So, um, so Orchid is not free. You have to pay um, for the service. Um, and interestingly, what we do is um, we don't, pay using a subscription model, which is the, the way that you see most VPNs run. Um, you can build a subscription model on top of the Orchid service. It's not saying you can't do it. Like anything that's pay-as-you-go can always be potentially just an derivatives approach built into a, a subscription model. Um, and people have asked us like, why don't you build a subscription model on top of it? It's like, well, because we don't provide VPN service. Is a basic answer. Like someone else wants to do it, they can. Mm-hmm. We provide software um, that we you know we work with Apple and Google and so on to get our apps into the App Store. Um, and we also provide the software that the nodes in the network can run. But where our software is not providing VPN service. You're paying to receive... Um, basically, you're either loading cryptocurrency into the app, which is populating a smart contract, and then um, that is giving you credit in the system that then when you want to make a connection the client tries to figure out which of the nodes it's going to send the first piece of traffic to Um, and then in our architecture you can have those nodes either just route that traffic to the destination like to the website you're looking for i'm trying to get to your website to your podcast so I use orcid and they use what we call a single Mm -hmm. hop that's a normal vpn thing if I want to get a little bit more careful about my privacy i might use two hops and what that does is that means that none of the vpns in the none of the nodes in the route know where i'm going or who i am so if you're a little bit more careful you want to do that and that's that's more like um what else is interesting is, is that you don't have to set up payment contracts with anybody you don't have to you know sign up for all the nodes and say hey i'm gonna like, give my credit card to each of these different things and we have seven nodes uh, seven to ten nodes network right now um you can just use the crypto you use the the RXT and the current architecture and, you know, options to use different kinds of, uh, of currencies in the future that.
0: Yeah. So is it like a play as you go or pay mm-hmm. play yeah, pay, pay, pay go, as pay, you go type of pay, deal Pay
1: to play
0: pay as you go? Yeah. Pays, pay play.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: How, how fast is it like, cause I know some VPNs, like they really slow down my experience. Like when I use them, like Nord VPN, for example, I'd always connect somewhere. Uh, to get around a firewall or um, or some kind of restriction, or to watch Netflix in the U.S. when I'm in Colombia, or, or just something like that, and it just slows down the entire like internet experience. Like, is that like also a thing with Orchid, or is it a little bit faster, or, or is it that just a general VPN issue? It's a
1: general VPN issue. Any situation where you're in a proxy, um, you're going to have a uh, issue with that. I mean, it's like. I mean, with, with Nord, I mean, I, I use I, I'll use uh, systems like Nord. You know, we benchmark them against Orchids. Um, Nord's actually one of the better ones for doing something like streaming uh, content, mm-hmm. like out of you know HBO or those kind of things. But um, the yeah, you're always going to have an issue there with with speed. Um, it's never going to be as fast as a raw connection. Um, but it kind of comes down to like well. What are you trying to optimize around? Do you mm-hmm. really need to stream um, your Netflix shows over a VPN? Are you that worried about what you're watching? Is that, is, that, is that the issue? Or is it that when you do that financial transaction, you want to make sure that one's protected? So thinking through when you when you use these things and when you don't um, is important. It's a bit like saying... Um, I don't know. It'd be like kind of saying, Oh, you know, it's super annoying. I have to wear a, a helmet when I snowboard, you know, cause you know, like, I, I just, like, it's so annoying. I want to like have the wind go through my hair and you're like, that's great. But you know, you're going to die. when you die forever. like mean, Oh yeah. But you know, it's, it's going to be fine. Right. I was like, yeah, sure. If you want to. I mean, there's always yeah, for me, it's off.
0: always, <laughs> it's always been like an access issue because like yeah. certain accounts I have in the U S like if I have ESPN plus or whatever crap they have now, or, netflix or something like that sometimes they'll say that i can't access my account because i'm not in the states which is like bullshit but like because they should already know who i am but so like i'll i'll use a vpn to like work around that so i can use my subscriptions rather than having to re-subscribe and get an account in columbia
1: yeah so what you're dealing with there there's a couple of different use cases for, for vpns um that people look for um one is the idea of um what you're doing there is geolocation. So you're you're trying mm-hmm. to geoport your, your your identity to a different part of the world. Uh, another example mm-hmm. would be trading on Binance. Like you have the opposite situation. If you if you look like you're in the US, they're not going to let you trade, even if you're a right. now. Like you have Binance account. You want to be not in the US. So um, you'll find that today's VPN companies have a whole bunch of things where you can like. Almost you can go down to like, oh, I want to be exactly in this city in Bangladesh because so, I've got a sell there. I want to. I question whether or not we need that level of fine line fine granularity um and mm-hmm. the current orchid system doesn't really have the concept of geolocation but um there are ways to architect that using uh, our curator design and we think we think there are approaches there where we could sort of mimic that kind of thing but it's going to be a much coarser representation of, ge- of geolocation versus the fine grain level that we have with um, regular vpns there are other reasons you VPNs so i just being more private. Um, mm-hmm. And we think that's a very good use case for Orchid. Um, yeah, a, a lot of the time you want to demonstrate using a VPN or, or pretend that you either, either you are somewhere, like if you want to watch shows in the US, you want to sh- pretend that you are in the US or you want to pretend that you're not somewhere. So if you're going to go trade Binance, you want to pretend that you're not in the US, but in fact, you are or mm-hmm. if you're in China and you want to like see the actual internet, you want to pretend that you're not in China. It doesn't really matter which country you end up in as long as it's not a country that's also got restrictions, but you want to make sure that uh, I'm just not in China and anywhere else is fine.
0: Right. Yeah. The geolocation, you know, being able to change where your IP shows up, it, it's kind of helpful, especially depending on your situation. Is that something that you guys want to put into ORCID maybe at some point, or is it just not focus?
1: It's um, it's 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 something we've we've thought about. Um, I think that's, I mean the, the bigger question is where does the community want to take this? Because that's that's where mm-hmm. you know, it's, a, it's a community effort, and um, we are you know interested in partnering with people and of course and, and just seeing where this thing can be taken. Um, a lot of the stuff we've worked on since we've launched, uh, we've only been you know it's only just over a year old in terms of actually being in the wild. Um, we've been working a lot on speed um, again with the community and then more recently on um, payment issues related to Ethereum gas costs. So that's been a major focus for our work. Um, mm-hmm. As as we as we potentially get hopefully more adoption, having fixed a couple of those those particular issues um, work pretty well, um, then I think we will be um pretty well poised to then think through some of the issues and, and have a go at kind of competing on a meta level with these other VPN companies
0: yeah how how is adoption for you guys like your user base because I saw you guys won uh, an award you guys got like fourth in like innovative product of 2020 with like CNET or something like that so I imagine your user base has grown quite a bit since then
1: um, yeah it's been great we've we've had uh a lot of um, pulse of recession for that. we have like of mm-hmm. traffic to our website. Um, we don't track usage because, you know, we actually can't track usage. Yes, that's true. <laughs> where our system is built. Um, but we track a uh, number of hits to the website and the website doesn't have the usual sort of, you know, multi-party, third-party cookie tracking stuff that follows you around the internet for the rest of your life no matter how much like you're trying to get rid of this stuff like fleas, yeah. You know? Um, so we don't mm-hmm. have that stuff, but um, we do have uh, we have information about how much traffic we get. Have information about how many downloads we get, and that's been increasing, and um, seems to be pretty healthy. Uh, you know, we have big goals for this stuff, but we also have quite a uh, quite a long view of things. So mm-hmm. we, we definitely weren't the fastest company from when we first started to getting things out in the in the crypto space. Um, because we tried to be very careful about what we're doing and build things in a really thoughtful way, so it's um, we still we still tend to be of that kind of mindset. Yeah,
0: what what are these big goals that you guys have? Like, where do you guys envision taking ORCID? Um, To Mars. <laughs> to Mars? Well, that's that's a good idea too. <laughs>
1: Is
0: it, I don't think there's a privacy issue on Mars. There's really nobody there. <laughs>
1: Well, the better reason, right? we have got to be the first ones there uh, with the solution. Um, I think my biggest goal for Orchid is um, really figuring out ways to make it very much a community-owned initiative. Um, I think certainly what I took from DeFi summer last year and so where we are since then is, is yeah, it's, it's super interesting to get Incredible yield on stable coins. Like, wow. I mean, they're, they're building automated market makers, super respect for like Hayden at Uniswap and all the all things. It, it's a fascinating space moving incredibly quickly. Like, if you're not really exposed to this stuff, you really need to dig into it. Like, two, two favorite things outside of Orchid are like understanding DeFi and seeing where it's going, and, and now NFTs. Like, I actually used to run a gallery years ago. So I kind of have a I, I kind of say if you if you don't think if you don't understand the nfts today you probably don't understand art because there are piles mm. of bricks in the tate in london Taiwan, that are worth millions of pounds piles of bricks and you're going to tell me that this little digital thing that's super unique made by this famous artist is not worth a lot of money i don't get it so i don't i don't get how people don't get it but they, they don't understand art. so uh i want to, i think that understanding how to how anything that's built today in crypto space be um very decentralized and owned by the community by the participants in it by the um by the sort of stakeholders of it and, and not just in a way that people are always like people are always asking us you know when staking why, do, why can't we stake all of that. well kind of there is there is staking in the awkward network right now it's done by the node providers um, what's happened so far is, is that there hasn't been uh, hasn't quite been like sufficient um, sufficient adoption to the point where these node providers we need to expand them significantly. And so, turns out that running VPN services is pretty easy, and it's like it's like highly scalable. So we have seven of the top mm-hmm. world's top VPN companies running the network for us right now, which is not just seven nodes; as many nodes run by each provider um and so as the traffic increases in those things and it becomes economically feasible and a requirement that we would increase the amount that would be staked there then there will be opportunity to do that but that's one aspect where people think that's what community ownership means that's why you want to have community involvement i think of it as i was saying back to the purpose part of our question as to it's a hedge against what if Orchid becomes very successful as a as a project or the technology? How do we make sure that you know there's there's nothing you can't shut it down? And that's that's what I think is, is right. necessary for any system, any system design. You know, all, all respect to what the guys in Binance Smart Chain are doing. I think it's fascinating. They're onboarding a whole different class, not class, a whole different segment of um the the population in DeFi that you know not the whales not the dolphins but even even smaller size checks and that's great people can play with those things projects and experiment you know it's cheaper to build things but at the end of the day um, they can pull the plug and if somebody turns around to to Binance and CZ and says hey shut this DeFi thing down tomorrow or we shut Binance down they'll shut it down. If there's an app running on Binance Smart Chain, if Orchid is running on Binance Smart Chain and they said, hey, turn that Orchid thing off. Chinese governments have turned the Orchid thing off or we turn you off. They turn us off because they control the network. So thinking about these issues from a game theoretical perspective of not just how do I make a bunch of short-term cash, but how do I build something that lasts beyond even the people who are building it? How, How do you do that? It takes something like Linux, now, Linus I've you know, been involved for a long time, but it will carry on living outside of him. That's powerful. That's a re- and, and mm-hmm. I think that's a very interesting thing from our, and I think one of the reasons why we've been able to attract so many like really talented uh, developers into our team is the idea that what if you could build something that lasts so that really makes a difference. And that's a rare opportunity to get to do that kind of thing.
0: Is Orchid built on Ethereum? Is it, a, it's a token, right?
1: It's an LC twenty uh, token, um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So the LC twenty contract is on the Ethereum chain. Um, um, a few years ago, when we actually decided how to build it, um, it was it was an interesting conversation because it wasn't clear for DeFi that Ethereum was going to dominate so much. And now I think that there isn't really a um, a question now the, the EVM compatible chains will be the things that uh, succeed. Um, and so all these other layer ones yeah. are really like, yeah, you know, they're like, they're sort of subservient to the Ethereum in a sense, at the same time, they have a paradox, they, they need to be evm compatible in order to get any kind of traffic because otherwise what are they going to do like mm-hmm. billboards? Hey, please use our chain. Cause we're awesome. Um, they'll get traffic if they're EVM compatible, but when they're EVM compatible they suddenly just become like a co-processor to Ethereum, like an offloading engine. And so they get traffic, but then they're just seen as like an an EVM alternative. Um, There are a couple of exceptions to that. I think uh, Avalanche has an interesting um, perspective on the way they're doing things. Um, But Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we're Ethereum-based and the staking contracts and the ERC-20 token contracts are gonna remain on Ethereum. We're now, and this is sort of a bit of a scoop for you, it depends on when you publish the episode, but um, we're about to discuss, um, and and with the community, we've been working on making EVM compatible um, payments using uh, the ORCID system. So instead of just using OXT, you can use other EVM compatible um, payment channels. Um, So we think that's interesting because it drops the gas fee the construction of the contracts, um, means mm-hmm. that the buy-in to Orchid's the app is much lower, especially on the in-app payment model, because I mentioned earlier, but uh, we support the use of fiat, um, like regular cash payments from the Orchid app, um, and we think that will increase the, the overall sort of, uh, potentially increase the overall utility of the, of the staking system for Orchid because of more traffic because of the GPUs. So that's gonna be an exciting thing we're doing soon, um, and then uh, yeah, some interesting stuff on the horizon. I, I should I should plug the uh, the conference we're about to do also too, which I was I was definitely reminded to do.
0: Yeah, I was actually just gonna yeah. ask about that the digital privacy summit thing you guys have coming up. Yeah,
1: so um, this is the uh, the brainchild of um, Amanda who um, runs marketing where I was previously around marketing and consensus. Um, and so she was previously doing a lot of work with the ethereal conferences, which are really my favorite conferences in the space. Um, so she came to me about a year ago, maybe a little bit more than a year ago, this idea of like, hey, what if we did a conference focused on privacy? And so Facebook has this conference called Fate or F8. It's very like, hey, it's your fate? Because it was Facebook. And she's like, what if we had one called Private? Like called Private? PRIV 8 so The conference is called Private. Okay. Um, so if you go to Orchid.com slash Private P R 8 the number 8, um, mm-hmm. we have a thing numbers, as you can see. Then uh, you can register there. Um, we've got some really incredible uh, speakers. It's not, um, it's not intended to be a, uh, a sort of a pageant for for Orchid. We're not not there like plugging all of our stuff and so on. We're really trying to um, focus a conversation around digital privacy and what that means. Um, So we have Zuko from uh, Zcash. Uh, We've got Audrey Tang. Uh, Edward Snowden is going to be speaking. Um, And then uh, other characters like uh, Peter von Balkenberg from Coin Center, Cindy Cohn from the AFF, um, and yeah, just some, some excellent, excellent speakers that I highly encourage. And it's free. I just have to register. Um, mm-hmm. And um, yeah, we're looking forward to uh, to that event. That's coming up um, in quite soon. Actually, it's going to be uh, March twenty third to twenty fifth, and um, mostly on kind of uh, Eastern Standard Time. Uh, it's all about time zones nowadays. When we're doing virtual conferences, right? So, my, my 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 first question to people when I'm interviewing them or when we're having conversation is like, what time zone are you in? Like, we well, don't you want to know where I am? I'm like, no, just just the time zone. That's all I need to know to make a conversation work.
0: I know time zones like screw up everything nowadays, especially when everything's online. Like, it's it helps to have like a calendar that like aggregates everything for everybody. Like, I don't even want to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Because time is just ridiculous for scheduling purposes. But, especially when people start um, talking to the like,
1: then they start talking times and they're like, can you pick a time zone that we're talking over? And because people always exactly. talk about their own time zone. They're like, you know, that's not just your time zone. There are other time zones.
0: Yeah, this this week got messed up for me because in uh, Colombia we don't have daylight savings time. Oh
1: thank god. That sounds so annoying.
0: Yeah, so, so annoying. when it, when that moves forward an hour, mm-hmm. it's like also, and I'm not on Eastern Time anymore. Oh, I'm an hour behind did Eastern Time. It move. <laughs> I heard did it, it did move? spring forward, fall uh, back.
1: I don't think I don't think we've moved. Maybe we have.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it happened. A bunch of people told me that, so I was like, "Oh, okay."
1: Oh yeah, it's like, it's, it's only seven hours different right now. The U.S. Shoot, I need to like do that. That's so interesting. <laughs> Thank you for telling me
0: yeah, you learned yeah, something. because it's, <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs>
1: yeah. So it's, it's seven in the morning there and it's 1400 here. So that means I'm seven hours different, not eight hours different. Like I know I am. Okay.
0: You know, what helps though, is like on your phone, like both Android and Apple, like at least you have like those clocks, you can get the world clocks and then like mm, your alarm sure. up and then you can kind of see what time it is everywhere. Yeah yeah just or ask siri i guess she'll tell you <laughs> i try not to talk to her she's always listening she's like, yeah, like, she, like she is kind always like listening.
1: I, I don't have her activated on anything um which is ironic yeah I,
0: I think she gossips.
1: my ironic yeah. my phd was in speech recognition series based on a lot of the tech we worked on um but yeah mm-hmm. she, she's 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 kind of a gossip you're right
0: a little gossipy where, where can people sign up for this summit? Like just on the, on the website, is yeah. there a link on the uh, website?
1: dot com slash private G R I V A.
0: Okay. Are you going to be speaking?
1: I'm going to be interviewing Edward. Um, yeah. yeah. But I'm
0: excited. Uh,
1: yeah. And it's intimidated. Um, I, I'd, uh, I'd I'd feel less nervous interviewing like George Clooney than interviewing someone like Edward Snowden because, yeah, but like regular famous people don't really intimidate me. You give me a a digital rights advocate or a uh, extreme sports athlete or you know something like that, then I'm nervous because these are these people are people I look up to.
0: I bet he's excited to talk to you. I mean, dude, you got a badass you know crypto VPN, so. Yeah, it's going to be interesting conversation, for sure.
1: Uh, you know, we're definitely passionate, yeah, definitely looking passionate forward to about it. this industry. So the space So we share that, for sure.
0: Yeah, it should be pretty cool. Um, I got to run to do something else, yeah. another meeting in a little bit. So this is probably a good place to wrap yeah, it sure. up. we definitely covered a, a lot of stuff. Um, so, Seven, Seven. <laughs> seven. <laughs> Thanks for uh, Seven. Just seven. What, what do you prefer? Do you prefer seven or seven
1: uh definitely seven. Seven. no one's ever said seven before but if you want to go with that thing you can rock it if you like but it's just seven like never...
0: I'll, I'll, okay seven works okay seven um thanks for coming on the podcast really appreciate you taking the time fun conversation yes. um i'll definitely work and have it up soon. okay
1: thanks a lot Take care